on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. I don't think I would have gotten the opportunities as a regular working actor. It's because of doing Trump and having done him so long and having some moderate success doing the character and some TV and film work. In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, lost wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 64 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. Thanks once again for joining me on this podcast journey to my favorite city in the world, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get into this episode of the podcast, I want to thank my guests from the last episode, all the way from the Emerald Isle. They are the house band at Rira Irish Pub in the shops at Mandalay Bay, Dave Rooney and Dave Brown, aka the Black Donnellys. We chatted about the band's origins, the celebs they've had a chance to play with in Las Vegas, their various Guinness World Records, and their new documentary, An Irish Story, This Is My Home. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 63, my special guests, The Black Donnellys, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, on to the show. It was a little over a year ago that Vegas entertainer and actor John D. Domenico, who's regarded as the best Donald Trump impersonator in the world, invited me to his home for a conversation for the podcast. We talked about how and when he started impersonating Donald Trump, the stage show he was working in on the Vegas Strip at the time, and his numerous appearances on Conan O'Brien and Fox News, where he'd had the opportunity to meet members of Trump's staff. During the course of that part of our chat, John dropped this little gem into the conversation. And Trump knew who I was before. Uh, There's this weird story where he thought I died. It's kind of complicated. But Kellyanne, (laughs) (laughs) long story. Proving that I'm clearly not the journalist I thought I was, I just moved right along and didn't bother asking the follow-up question. So... Better late than never, I asked John to jump back on the podcast with me so I could get the full story on how, why, and when the President of the United States thought he was dead. We also got caught up on some of the great work John's been doing over the course of the last year, including a ton of voiceover work as Donald Trump, getting to meet and do Trump for the legendary Alec Baldwin, his dive into the world of Cameo, and how he's been keeping busy during the COVID-19 shutdown in Las Vegas. Please enjoy my conversation with John D. Domenico. Okay, so um, I was one of the first people doing Trump, other than first it was Phil Hartman, then it was Daryl Hammond. Okay, I was one of the few people outside of them doing it that was bookable, and I was in New York. So Um, What had happened was in 2006, once when I started, you know, 
right around the time I'd gotten gotten the wig and the makeup and I was doing it and all that stuff, I got called by a PR firm. This was for The Apprentice. And it was for a cross promotion between The Apprentice and Embassy Suites. They were designing the new uniforms. Trump was unavailable. And it was like their episode that night, like, we need Trump. And Trump's unavailable. What's the next best thing? Um, well, there's this guy who's an impersonator and he can do it. So they found me and they were like, God, like, you're the only person who can do this. And I had the tie and the wig and the whole, you know, as uh, Guy Fieri would say, the whole giddy up. So, um, so I got hired and I was on Fox and Friends in 2006. I'm the other than those two, Phil Hartman and Daryl Hammond, I'm the first person ever to appear as Trump on, um, on national television. And on Fox, which ironically, I ended up, you know, being on a lot more. And to do that, I had to be approved. I had to be approved by Trump, by the Trump organization. And I'm assuming Trump because I'm playing him. So from 2006 on, he knew I was who I was. And I would pop up at events and I would, you know, that's when things were building and I was getting photos here and there. But he was aware of me simply because I worked for him. And initially, going back to the very first thing I ever did for him was the voice of him at the Trump Taj Mahal for the the boardroom game. So he probably may have heard my name and heard my voice, and that was it. But when he saw me on TV on Fox, that made it like, this guy's a real person, and I know who he is. And I have a distinct name. I'm not like John Smith. So years later, when I moved here nine years ago, before um, right before I moved, a friend of mine, Doug Nervick, who's a great improv guy, amazing musician, tall, kind of fair skin, naturally like Trump. He, I said to him, I said, and he could easily do it because we would call each other. Hello, Mr. Trump. Hello, Mr. Trump. How are you? Fantastic. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, listen, we should go to Bob Kelly, who made all my wigs. Um, I said, we should go to Bob Kelly off of Times Square and get you a wig. Because that's a big investment. Doug, I will turn over every, you know, job that I, every Trump job, because it's not worth it for me for $800, $1,200, $1,500 to fly back to New York. It's just not worth it. But I said, but I can turn the job over to you and keep the work in the family. I always like to help out friends. You know, we're all tight community actors and performers. So he bought it, got him a job right out of the gate, got him another job. He was rolling with it. People were loving his Trump. And then very sadly, he had a stroke and he passed away. And it was heartbreaking for me because I love this guy. And right around that time, the apprentice, celebrity apprentice, um, it was like the Joan Rivers thing. They, they wanted a celebrity, they wanted a, a Joan Rivers impersonator and a Donald Trump impersonator. So they were under the impression they were calling me, but I was already here. Mm-hmm. So, in the boardroom, you see Joan Rivers say, we called, we, we tried to call the Trump impersonator, but he died. And he says, oh, I really like that guy. That's a shame that he died. And he was talking about me. <laughs> oh, no. Because Doug hadn't done anything really. He'd just done a couple of corporate cases, but he hadn't done anything publicly. I was the only one who had been photographed and Getty images and all that kind of stuff. So that's why he they reached out to the Trump in New York. That was Doug because people had 
passed. I had made sure it, anything in New York went to Doug mm-hmm. and then he had passed away. And that's, that's the sad, that's the sad story. But when I, when what would happen was when that episode aired and people knew people from the New York area knew, knew he knew who I was when they said, Oh, that he died. I like that guy. Well, people like called me like, what? <laughs> I, was like, I had to explain to them what happened. Oh my God. So just really, I mean, it was just, it, it just kind of went from him very weird. Very, in a very yeah. weird direction, very quickly, very weird direction. But then when I resurfaced on Tom Shalhoub on, on, on red eye and Fox and friends, and I was running into a lot of his, you know, like Kellyanne, they, they kind of, they knew again. And I had gotten back channeled the very, fr- when he had won, I was getting back channels on a bunch of stuff, but when he had one, I got a back channel and um, they were talking about having me at the, uh, the national the correspondence dinner. And that was happened. That was like a real thing. And we were going back and forth and setting up the date. And I was going to be at the white house table and all this kind of stuff. And then he, like he said he wasn't going. And then the st- Staff wasn't allowed to go. And they said, we can still get you a ticket. I'm like, I'm not, what? <laughs> I'm not flying across country to go to an event where I know absolutely no one. Mm-hmm. And I got to put myself up, fly myself in. I was like, thank you, but no thank you. Cause you know, me out of makeup doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Right. You yeah. Know? Unless I'm with a bunch of people. So that was, it was a very interesting. And then that person left the white house. So, you know, you mentioned these back channels and this is such a weird, th- I mean, do you ever kind of just sit there and go, what, what is happening with my life? Like, how did this, I mean, you, you know, in the, in the last episode, we talked about you developing the character and, and why mm. you, you went with it and everything like that. But I mean, with what's been going on over the last few years with all of this, and, and like I say, you talk about these back channels and, and getting this, like, like I say, do you ever just kind of go, what? What is with oh, my life? You know, all the time and the people that the amazing people I got to meet. And I, you know, one of the people that I was really excited about meeting was through a friend uh, called me and said, Hey, do you know the TV show transparent? And I may have told you the story, but he said, do you know the TV show transparent? And I said, yeah, of course I'm, I'm fascinated with showrunners, fascinated. And uh, I read about them all the time. And uh, he said, do you know Jill Solomon? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, okay, she wants to talk to you. I'm like, Jill Soloway wants to talk to me. Yeah, she has a concept for a show that she's working on. And I like, I, I it was a, it was like a, a Skype call and she had her camera off. I said, do you mind? So I can, I just want to make sure it's really you. And it was really her. And we discussed the project and we started working on it. And then um, Jeffrey Tambor had his issue on Transparent. Um, you know, so I've gotten, I, I, and I, I can talk about this now because it's not happening. And this is the first time I've talked about it anywhere. But I was working on a pilot with Robert Smigel, and um, we shot in December, and that that fell apart mm-hmm. for a, a myriad of reasons. Uh, but I mean, I would never have worked with him otherwise. And that you know, and uh, it's he's like was the head writer for SNL, so it's like all these SNL things have been happening, which I know you're going to ask me about later. <laughs> that other guy. So it's been, it, you know, so yeah, I, I don't think I would have gotten the opportunities as a regular 
working actor. It's because of doing Trump and having done him so long and having some moderate success doing the character and some TV and film work. And, you know, and I'm a, and, and you know me, I'm kind of a hustler. I got, I got to keep working. I just have to work and work and work and work. And, you know, sometimes things hit, sometimes they don't. The extremely negative thing hit and got me a lot of traction. Um, I put, <laughs> You put on one video, it gets like a half a million views. You put on another one, it gets 24,000. You're thinking, hmm, what did I do? <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> so then you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. Yeah. And and I mean, we talked about this in, in our last interview. Uh, you, you have a ton of characters in your repertoire. I mean, you do what, 25, 30 different characters, right? Yeah. But I'm assuming that right now, Trump is taking up basically all of your time. He's taking up probably 95% of the time. Like um, tomorrow I'm Guy Fieri on a Zoom call. Last week I was uh, Dr. Evil. Before that, I was Austin Powers. Um, I have another thing to do as as Austin. As Aust- two things to do as Austin and two things to do as Dr. Evil. I did a Dr. Phil uh, thing recently. So they're still there, but nowhere near. I mean, I have 18 cameos to shoot today. And, and on the run up to mother's day, it was like 25. And I'm, it was just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And that's one of the, that's the main thing that's really keeping me alive right now are these cameos. And they're, like I said, 99, they're about, they're about 99% Trump. But every work overall is probably 95% Trump. You mentioned Cameo there. And this is something that I did want to talk to you about. Cameo is something that's really only started to blow up in what, the last year and a half or so? Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. It's been around for a while. And I had Jeff Savilico and um, um, Scott Bloom, who are friends of mine. They were like, you got to get on this. You got to get on this. But my feeling was like, I'm not, I'm not a D-list, C-list, B-list celebrity. I'm not Michael Rappaport. I'm not Mike Tyson. I'm not Debbie Gibson. Like no one knows John D. Domenico. And they were really, no, 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 get on there. And I went on and there was like one other Trump impersonator who was not in makeup. And, um, you know, he was, I mean, he was fine. Uh, you know, he was there. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. I might as well do it right. I will do it in full makeup. I will do it on my press room set. So I started shooting them in October, the last week of October. And it, it worked out great. I had an account executive who gave me a little more time and we could set them up. And then I went on the road and I would do them from my hotel room. And then I'd be back home and do them on the set. And it was just kind of moving along. And then it was really taking off around Christmas. And January was really was surprisingly solid. And, uh, with the pandemic with like a gift it's perfect you don't have to pick it up it doesn't have to be delivered it it doesn't have to be dropped off they don't have to touch it and it lasts forever and it's totally personalized Mm -hmm. to them and i go over the top most people's i've watched a lot of cameos but i'll do like two and a half minutes because there's so much trump material you know what i mean can you believe this can you believe this because i usually open up with it's me greatest president in the history of president other than the late great abe lincoln who really sally wasn't that great 
Wasn't that great? What do you have to deal with? Deeny, weeny, civil war. What do I get? The Kung flu from Wangchung, China. And you know what I learned about this company? This company is a great company. And what this really is, is it's a technology company. And technology companies are into metrics. Mm-hmm. They like metrics. This is, you know, this is no fly-by-night company. They're a huge tech company. I mean, the CEOs, there's two co-CEOs. They're all tech guys. And you can see how they can really scale this and how this works and how everything's done and how your algorithm has moved up from people giving you reviews and people just checking out your page. It's really, it's really amazing. And um, I've, I brought on a bunch of people, Christina Shaw, Robert Nash, um, just, a, just a ton of people. And uh, because I think it's great. And because of the shelter in place, a lot of people have jumped on so i have a more competition now but that's okay it's okay because i'll win i'll win so much winning I do want to talk about some of the other the current stuff and 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 things that you're working on um back in february speaking of saturday night live and and that other guy the guy february feels like it was forever ago yeah it really feels like it was like two years ago because <laughs> when i was looking this up i, I thought I think it was this year, but I want to be sure. Yeah. Um, back in February, you got to do Trump for Alec Baldwin. Well, yeah, we, this is the coolest story. Um, I was very, you know, I, I it was a Democratic state thing for Democrats of California. It was in Cupertino. I'd gotten a call and said, hi, we looked, we found you online. Uh, we have Alec Baldwin at an event. He is contractually not allowed to do Trump outside of SNL. And I was like, well, that's good for me. <laughs> and um, they said, we'd love for you to open for him. And I said, oh my God, that would be incredible. And I had said to Michelle, I said, you know, if I could just, I can just get a photo with this guy, it'd be great. Because I know in these events, it's, it's hard. People come in, they do the thing, they're out, especially someone like him. So, um, um, I got to the, I got to the, um, you know, hotel. Uh, well, I was talking in advance, obviously putting the material together. Um, I got word back from them that he'd watched some of my stuff and he loved it, which was really nice. And then, um, that day I, 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 they had said, Oh, he's, he's really excited to meet you. I'm like, wow, that's, that's incredible. So I'm only supposed to do 12 minutes. I get up, I do my 12 minutes and it was going to be a handoff. I was going to, you know, Alec, the stage is yours. You're a terrible person. And then leave the stage. And then as he's walking up the stage, he looks at me and goes, you're good. You're good. I go, thank you. Thank you so much. The stage is yours. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, you're not going anywhere. I go, and I'm, I'm in character, but I'm kind of thrown because we, we talked about this. And, and this event was for a specific assemblyman in California. And Alec goes, no, 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 no. Can we get some chairs up here? Can we get some chairs up here? And you, if you saw the photos, and he says, I want to interview this guy. Because, you know, my my Trump is universally panned as the worst. Right? <laughs> Am I right? And he says that to me. I'm like, no, well, it's not that bad. And, and, uh, and I said it as Trump. Well, it's not that bad. So then he said, but this guy just did 12 minutes. He killed it. He goes, I do Trump every other week for four to five minutes. This guy just did 12 minutes and he killed me. He was dead on. So give him a nice hand. And then he interviewed me and how I got started in Trump and this and that, blah, 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 blah. And then that was like another like seven, eight minutes. And then I was out and then we took some photos together and we talked a little bit and then he was off. So between like him, 
Robert Smigel, I felt like I'm getting closer to Saturday Night Live. I'm closer, you know. And then last Saturday night when he said from the last for the last time from my apartment. And, and I mean, again, another one of those just incredible opportunities that is just yeah. come up for you. Yeah. And, and to be sitting right next to him on stage and he's asking me questions about how I got started and how I cracked the voice. And, and I'm sitting there like, dude, you were in Red, Hunt for Red October. You know what I mean? And it was just like, I can't, it, it was weird that he was right there. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. So cool. Yeah. Um, you also, uh, through the, uh, the run up here with the, uh, the presidential election coming up, you developed, you started working on a Bernie Sanders, right? Is Bernie something that you had done for a while or was Bernie something that you had just kind of, well, Bernie was one of those things that's in your head. You know, if you come from like the Northeast and you, you lived in New York, or from, there's that kind of that, that, that way of talking. Mm-hmm. That kind of, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's, it's, you know, Jewish, but the Jew, you know, the, the, the Yiddish overtones and things like that, or, or if it's, you know, uh, uh, uh you know, we just there's this thing from Brooklyn and Queens where they do that thing where they talk like this, you know, a little bit of New York, obviously Bernie has more New York, but he was such a great character and I had waited and waited and waited. And I sh- probably should have jumped on him earlier, but as we were going in and we were seeing like, probably going to be him or Biden or, you know, and the field was still pretty big at that point, but (laughs) dropped out. And people said to me, you know, the consolation is he's not going anywhere, but that's true. But it's, it's, you know, in the run up to election, they're not focusing on other people. They're just looking at the main two people. And then with the pandemic, nobody's out and about, Mm -hmm. no one's giving, you know, uh, other than, you know, Trump, no one's giving press conference. Uh, Biden's in his basement, essentially. Right. And his voice is, uh, I, I can't figure out a way into his voice. Yeah. You know, yeah. he has no phrases that he uses consistently. Something that was kind of neat to see on social media, uh, following you on, on Facebook and Twitter and such, you were actually putting out videos, almost testing the character. Yeah. Is that something that you normally do when you're developing a character or was that something different just for Bernie? I was new with Bernie because I had the opportunity to do it on, on social media and I wanted to get other people's opinion. I know what I sound like, you know, people say to me sometimes, you know, you have to slow down as Trump. It's like, I'm fully aware, but I'm, this is, I'm doing comedy. You know what I mean? Like this isn't a documentary. I have to, there's timing involved here and I have to speed it up, mm. um, which always cracks me up. Uh, but with Bernie, I wanted to hear what people were, were thinking with it. And a lot of people just said, you have to lower your voice. You got to be, remember to be lower when you do Bernie Sanders. You know, and, 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 they, and they, again, they were saying I was talking too fast, but that's always like, that's a decision you make. Uh, but it was probably the one thing I heard the most that I had to lower my voice. So I had to push my voice deeper down my throat so I could, uh, you know, get that, uh, sound that he has where it's almost a little guttural, but it's not. It's just the placement of his voice. So it's like you're just fine tuning things like that. It is so much fun to listen to you do these voices. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. The the saddest part about it though, was you never got your Trump Sanders debate. Yeah. And I was working, I was starting to like kind of flush it out and, you know, and there's a great, 
you know, I have access to an amazing, not my own green screen, but a really like incredible, like affiliate green screen here. And I was, I was going to do it, but it's one of these things where if it's there, there's so many other things that are, and, and things are happening so fast that, you know, like I just got to focus on like the next, next thing over these next few weeks and next few months. The other thing that really kind of blew up for you, and this was one that was fun to wake up to the one day in your, your social media post on it was uh, one of your Trump clips got picked up by the Howard Stern show. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Do you have any idea where that came from or how he got his hands on that or, or no, um, I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know. And I'm really happy. The funny thing is about the Howard Stern show is there have been multiple times over the last few years where people have messaged me and said, Hey, you were great on the Howard Stern show today. And I was like, mm, wasn't me. <laughs> I have a pretty good idea who it was, but it wasn't me. Cause I have a very specific way of doing my Trump. And um, <clears throat> there are certain people who shall remain nameless who uh, <laughs> have utilized the way I do it. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, so usually I try to find out who that was and I let the person know like that was this guy or that was that guy. But that particular morning I woke up and I was getting multiple messages like you, dude, you're on the, you were great. You were great on the Howard Stern show. You were great on the Howard Stern show. And I'm like, I don't, I was literally typing someone back to say, I don't think that was me. And then somebody else messaged, they're playing your negative bit. I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. And it's amazing the power of Howard Stern. How many people listen to that guy? The volume of text and Facebook messages was amazing to have that kind of reach is so incredible. And, um, and, and I think it was the same day or the day after then Piers, Piers Morgan played it. And I have friends in the UK and, and relatives. My sister's been over there for 40 years. So then that came up and I was like, Holy cow, this is really this is really taking off. That's so bizarre, but, but I mean, good bizarre. Oh, so great. And I really, I would have loved, I would love to be on Stern regularly if I could get up at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the having done morning radio for a very brief, uh, while I can tell you it's no fun, <laughs> but for, for Stern money, I think I could do it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's he get? Like $55 million a year or something? Some, yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Number. Yeah. And he's in on shares on Sirius XM and everything too. And yeah, like, Oh God. Yeah. I could do it for that money. I think I'd be okay with it. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, some of the voiceover work that you've got as Trump as of late, uh, saw you posted some information on your Facebook about a cartoon that, that you're signed on for, uh, the fabulous freak brothers. It was the fabulous freak brothers and that's their real name. That's a seventies comics part of like the, the crumb era of comics, kind of a gritty kind of thing. Not, not dirty, but like the whole look was gritty and very dense. Like the, mm. the illustrations are very, very dense. And these were three hippies from that period. And, you know, they took, they were very irreverent and they basically kind of, they've been asleep all this time and they've been rehatched in, you know, this, this point in history. And who do they, who's the first person they run into? President Trump. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you do animation as 
few, it's pretty common knowledge that you're not in the studio with the other actors. So I didn't get to meet Pete Davidson. I didn't get to meet John Goodman. I didn't get to meet Tiffany Haddish. And um, I'm missing one other. Oh, Woody Harrelson. He's got this great kind of, he plays the old, the older Texas guy. And he's really got the voice down great. He said, yes, sir. We got the whistle. You know, when people talk with the whistle. <laughs> yeah, we want some of that Kentucky fried chicken. You know, so he's, it was, it was really cool. And it was fun to watch and it's beautiful animation. It was a fun clip to watch. It was, it was yeah, really it was interesting neat, to watch. It was kind of neat. And, you know, I, I, I loved it, but we changed it. I had actually done all the recording like in January and they said, Hey, this is coming out, but we need to update it because of COVID-19. So um, we added some of the COVID lines and changed some, made minor, minor changes to the script. A couple of other voiceover projects that you've done as Trump, um, you were the voice of Donald Trump in the audiobook The Method to the Madness, a nonfiction book from uh, Alan Salkin and Aaron Short. Yeah, great book, by the way. And it's a nonpartisan book. It's all it's all people who are personal friends. There's no unnamed sources. It's a great book. And then something else that you did that you shared on your Facebook page and on your social media was a, a video that I I really enjoyed uh, called The Trump Missing Tapes. Yeah. And and the way it was written and the way it was set up, it was it was written as if it was a, a speech from Donald Trump and and a, a, kind of the polar opposite of the speeches that we've been getting from Donald Trump. Right. Well, you know, ironically, since I've been, you know, since he's become president, I've been getting messages forever either on YouTube or through uh, Instagram, any of these platforms where they say, we wish you were president. Uh, uh, you know, I wish the president could be as eloquent as you, even in the, even in the extremely negative video where I said the negativity spectrum, people are like, well, he would never say that. I'm like, it, it was just, it, how many people have said, I wish you could be, tr- I wish you were the president. Could you do a Dave switch? Could you do this? Could you, could you say something nice as Trump? Could you say something empathetic as Trump? Could you say something supportive as Trump? And there were so many of them. I thought, okay, let me, let me take a crack at this and putting something together. And then a friend of mine, Jay Ferguson, who I worked with on a project in Canada series, he said, you know, we're actually working on something like this too. Can I give you the script? And he gave me the script and I'm like, this is pretty much letter perfect. I could not, I can't improve on this. I said, mine is just pieces. And he said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah. So I, I shot it. It went back to them and uh, their production company. And they did that, that look kind of that, you know, released missing tapes got out kind of thing. Between doing the audiobook and the Trump missing tapes, is it a bit of a stretch for you or a little more difficult for you to do Trump in in a serious manner? I mean, I've seen your act uh, umpteen dozen times and and seeing what you post on on social media and such, it's generally it's satire, it's comedy. So, is it a bit more of a challenge for you to do Donald Trump in a serious way? Yeah, it's a little it's a little well, not that it's much bigger now, but you know, it's a little, little more. Yeah. You know what it is? It's, it's going back to what people said about me doing it faster when I'm doing comedy. It's the authentic, I have to do authentic Trump. So it has to be, it's got to be less, it's got to be less comedic and it's got to be what he said in this line from the book. So it's got to be, you know, I'm $900 million in debt. 
I've lost three casinos, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to work out. It's going to, you know, whatever that line was. And there were a lot. I mean, it's a big book. And coincidentally, I just finished working on um, a documentary called American Journey about Trump. And they needed some very important key lines throughout this whole thing. So I recorded all of those. That was just earlier this was it today's Tuesday? So it was over the weekend. I got that out to those guys. So it's very important. And then they sent me the footage of where it was being put in. Cause the way the documentary shot is you're seeing a lot of him over the shoulder or on the sides and the actor that they had hired is the right height, the right build, but he's not an impersonator. So it's going to be like the heads turn and you'll, you'll hear the voice kind of thing. That's so cool. And, and as I say, I mean, it's gotta be interesting for you as a, as a performer and as an actor to be able to play the role or play the part from a different side of things. Yeah. And with him, there are so many Trumps to begin with. You listen to the Trump on Howard Stern. That's not the Trump. And I don't, I'm not talking content, you know, talking about women and this, that, but there's a, uh, there's this kind of at, you know, someone's house talking to somebody in low tones kind of thing. And you know, Howard, well, this is that thing. And then there's the interview that he does with someone he likes, like, Sean Hannity, that's a different Trump. Then he does an interview with Katie Tour from NBC, who he doesn't really like, but he kind of finds attractive. So he wants to demean her. So then that's a totally different style. Then it's there's the you know the Trump on stage, and there's there's all of these different facets to his, his not just his personality. Everybody has a lot of facts, but his speaking style changes. And for the the documentary, when I had to go back to him and when he was 30, he taught, he spoke totally differently. Totally. If you go back to that Rona Barron interview when he was 30 years old, he was, uh, he talked uh, very haltingly. And I'll tell you, Rona, I don't really know if I'd want to be the president because it seems like it's very tough and I really wouldn't want to do that. And it's like, you know, to hear the evolution of this guy because most people speak the same from the time they're in their thirties up through to the time they pass away. People's lexicon doesn't change that much. Their vocal style, even if you watch, he keeps his mouth really, really closed. And I watched, I watched quite a few things from the time he was 30, 32, 33, 35. Cause I had to go through sections of his life because this documentary, and I had to get these things exact because they're not going to match up. You know what I mean? Like talking like this now is not going to work for a 30-year-old Trump. You know, the voice is, it's drier, it's more crackly. So it's, um, so it's very interesting to, to see that and, and to see his, his lexicon over time diminish. He had a much bigger vocabulary at one point. It is much smaller now. It is much smaller and the way he speaks and the actual vocal production is it's different. It's, it's different. So it's, so to do it, it's great for me because it helps everything I do structurally uh, to have these different Trump era voices and the different voices themselves that he uses for all the different ways that he speaks. This is such cool behind the curtain stuff. I love it. And, and I and I think, I mean, we talked about it during our last conversation. I don't think people realize how much work you put in to developing 
these characters that you perform. I mean, I think people, as you said last time, people just think you just show up dressed as Donald Trump and ta-da, that's it. But that is not it at all. No, no, it's a lot of, it's, it's work. I mean, it's, it's, it's work. I take this very, very seriously. And, um, to, you know, and I get up and I, I think I told you this, I mean, every day I'm up like first thing and I have to go through the news. I have to know what's going on. I do radio interviews as Trump and they're comedy bits, but you know, if someone's going to ask me about Jim Latour and I'm like, who's Jim Latour? Like, well, he's, you know, like they, 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 all you need is that one gap. In, in information. So it's, you know, I'm following the Supreme Court case. I'm obviously following all the COVID stuff. I'm following the comments about Fauci. I'm following Obama. It's like homework every day. <laughs> it's this immense amount of homework to, to keep up with. And then, you know, things of the people that are around them, what's actually going on at the White House. You've got three people who are testing positive. So what's his perception of that? Like how's he, and, and I can see from when he talks about it, you know, like, well, she, she tested positive, you know, she tested negative yesterday and today she's positive. So that's why these tests don't work. One day it's, it's negative and the next day it's positive. So I don't why, I don't know why everybody wants to take these tests. They, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> And I mean, as last time, same as last time, I, I don't want to get too political in a discussion. Right. I mean, I'm a Canadian. I, what do I know about American politics? I'm just up here eating my butter tarts and my all dressed chips. And, 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 you know, I mean, being a Canadian right now, north of the U S is, is almost kind of like, it's almost kind of like having the, the nice apartment upstairs from the meth lab, if that makes any sense right now. That's a line that I have when I do Trump about <laughs> Canada. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> I always say I love Canada. I love Canada. It's like another country up there. It's like another country up there. And what are Canadians really? What are Canadians really? They're just unarmed Americans with health care and a nicer attitude. That's it. You know, I consider Canada America's addict. You know, you don't go up there a lot, but when you do, you're like, wow, look at all this great stuff. I didn't even know this was here. <laughs> um, right now, with what's going on and all the COVID stuff and, and everything that's been happening, is, is Trump still just the comedy gift that keeps on giving for you? Yeah, well, yeah, he he, he is. Um, you know, one of the things about Trump is... It, the, the people who are getting the I'm getting both sides through cameo like my dad loves Trump he's a huge Trumper he loves it and then it's like my mom hates Trump can do a funny message so so you get both sides but right now he is and I don't think there'll be ever another president celebrity news like, like this guy is it I mean he is sucking the oxygen out of American life he is in all corners. I mean, it, it is, he is airtight as far as where he is on the news and comedy and Netflix projects that are coming up. I mean, the only person who's challenged him in the last few months is, you know, Joe Exotic. Who <laughs> <laughs> even got close. The only one who got even remotely close was Joe Exotic. It's funny how true that is, quite honestly. <laughs> Um, you're keeping busy through all this pandemic craziness, obviously. Um, I mean, you're not out performing per se, um, but you've got a ton of, of stuff that you're able to do from home. My days are pretty much, I was up at five 30 this morning. I was in makeup by 
um, nine o'clock and I've been shooting when I get off of here, I'll be shooting, um, uh, till, you know, till I'm, I will try to get everything done. I have at this point, I have 13 of these to shoot. So that's a lot. And then I have some offline videos for some clients. So again, you're, you're, you're doing okay. You're keeping busy. Yeah. I'm very, and and I want to just say, if anyone's listening, I'm, this is an anomaly in the sense that I'm very lucky to be working. Um, but I had the infrastructure kind of in place. Luckily I was on cameo back in October. So when everyone kind of moved there to not just performers, but people looking for a gift, I was already there. I was already established. I already had a lot of great reviews. I also have the TV studio, which made it possible and the audio studio. I know a lot of people in my, a lot of comedians and singers and everybody's kind of just had to run um, to set something up quickly. So I was very lucky that I just didn't miss a step. Uh, which is which is a wonderful thing. It's it's kind of like Trump, you know. It's right place, right time. So this was right place. Horrible situation, uh, but I was able to to adapt pretty quickly. So and um, I, I I feel my heart goes out to everyone I know in Las Vegas. Um, the bedrock of this town um, is its citizens, and the citizens are all tied to hospitality, gaming. And and tourism, and there's we don't we're not New York, we're not Los Angeles, we're not Chicago. The, the lifeblood is pretty much one thing. You've got companies like Zappos and things like that, but they employ a tiny fraction of the people. What employs the overwhelming majority of the people here is hotels, casinos, restaurants, uh, comedy clubs, strip clubs event centers, whatever it is, but we need an audience for that. And we need people coming here for that. And they need to feel safe uh, when they come here that they're not going to get sick. John, thank you again for, for jumping on here today and, uh, and having a chat with me. Um, My pleasure. I, I can't wait to get back down to Vegas and, and spend some time with all you guys. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to do that soon. My friend. Well, it's a very resilient town. Everybody wants to get back on track. We just need the health infrastructure to do it, that people feel comfortable doing it and and that we feel comfortable going out and, you know, not infecting each other and not infecting tourists. And they will. They're going to figure it out. There's just too much at stake here. There's too much at stake, you know. So I won't be surprised if there's a joint thing between MGM, Caesars, all these organizations who figure something out because obviously it's going to be private companies that do it. John, thank you again. Appreciate it, my friend. Jeff, tremendous interview. More high ratings for you. (laughs) If you want to follow John on social media, find him on Facebook at John D. Domenico Comedy or on Instagram and Twitter at Johnny D. 23. And if you'd like Donald Trump, Dr. Evil, Austin Powers, Dr. Phil, Guy Fieri, or any of John's many other characters to send a special message to someone you know, book John on Cameo at cameo.com slash johnnyd23. You'll be able to find all these links in the show notes on the website. (laughs) 
And that wraps up yet another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. You can also drop me an email directly at Jeff at Jeff In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes, show notes, and a link to the official Jeff Does Vegas YouTube channel. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 64 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast.